0: That was beautiful. Thank you very much. I already feel so much peace after that beautiful song. Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to be with you again. Roy sends his regards. He's preaching at um, the Avenue Church um, this afternoon, so we have split for today. Um, I was actually preaching at the present Church this morning, so... He watched the kids, and then we swapped, and I've got the kids, and then he's going to come swap, because later tonight I have to go to a birthday dinner. So lots of um, scheduling and communication today. I heard a really fascinating uh, TED Talk this week as I was driving. I listened to Dr. Karen Backer, who is a researcher and professor at the University of British Columbia in, in Canada. And she has authored um, a book called The Sounds of Life. And it was really fascinating, Um, and I'll just share some of the highlights. But she talked about how the natural world is teeming with sounds. Um, Sounds that we can't hear, because they're either in the infrasound, which is low frequency, or the ultrasounds, in the high frequency. And so, you know, it's interesting when you look at kind of our human hearing range, and then all that happens outside of that, we don't hear. But thanks to AI and other digital technology, scientists are now discovering that creatures that we thought were silent have actually not been silent at all. And so I'm going to play a little um, audio recording try to see if you can guess what creature this might be.) <coughs> a little bit like a dolphin, but we already knew that dolphins could speak. This is a creature that we thought were pretty silent. I think bats actually, uh, it's a good one. Bats look silent, but they actually do make a lot of noise. This is another creature that we would often think is very quiet, and a lot of people have them as pets. Um, very good guesses, but it's actually turtles. When you think about a turtle, you think they're very quiet. Specifically, this is the sound that the South American river turtle embryos make as they're inside their eggs. And this is how they communicate to each other about when they're going to hatch. It turns out that a few years ago, a scientist felt very silly putting a microphone near this nest. But it turns out that her instincts were correct, and they were actually making sounds that they have now decoded that coordinate the hatching so that they would have strength in numbers as they crawl out to the sea. Once they discovered this they wondered what else can are we missing out on because we can't hear. So they put microphones everywhere on the ocean on the land near the nest and for a series of months. And here's the thing scientists used to believe that mother turtles of this particular uh, species would lay the eggs and then abandon them and off she went. And so, you know, every encyclopedia, every, you know, National Geographic, everything you read previously said, the mother abandons the kids, off she goes. Well, once they put these microphones in, what they discovered was that before she leaves the nest, she communicates to the eggs. She goes out, and then... After they hatched, they discovered that she actually called out to them and they answered and they found her and they would go off. Like they would the reason why the turtles go into the water is because they're listening to their mother. And so it's amazing, right? So imagine as I'm listening, I just was like, wow. And um this is just a few years ago that they, that they discovered this. Here's something else. Here's the mother turtle there. Here's something else that they have discovered. Did you know that Coral reefs also emit sounds. You don't, you knew that already, Joshua? Well, I didn't know that. So apparently, um, you know, when the larvae of reef animals spawn, they get carried away by the wind and the waves. And scientists thought, oh, you know, they settle somewhere and then they grow. But once again, they recorded, they put underwater, you know, recording devices. And what they found, to their amazement, was that each coral reef emits, emits a certain type of sound that's unique. And the larvae are able to, you know, they've been swept away, but once they get a little bit bigger and they're able to swim and navigate back to their mother reef to repopulate it. And so once scientists discovered this, what they then did was there are parts of the Great Barrier Reef that sadly have, where the reef have died due to global warming and bleaching and, and other, um, you know, factors. And so what they are now doing is they're putting these ginormous loudspeakers underwater where they play soundtracks of healthy coral reef um, before... the ones where they have the recording before the reef died. And they are playing that soundtrack, and the reef animals are coming back and repopulating that reef. Um, So it's quite fascinating. So thanks to this new information, conservationists are able to accelerate the recolonization of parts of the Great Bear Reef. But obviously this is um, only possible when you have good recordings, of the reefs before they die. Even plants, you'll like this one, uh, Michelle and Shane. I know you've got lots of plants in your home at the moment. Even plants make noises, right? We think they're silent. But it turns out that when they are dehydrated or damaged um, or in in threat, you know, if there's a fire, etc that they emit not only chemicals, we already knew that, but they also emit high-pitched ultrasounds that are outside of human hearing but once again when scientists put these microphones and the digital technology they hear sounds that sound like popping and they count the number of pops and basically it's their way of saying i'm stressed help me give me water right and so um yeah it's fascinating to to find out that and um you know i She, the Dr. Bucker, she's written a whole book about this, and there's a growing um, bioacoustics, you know, the study of the sound in nature um, field, and it's it's fascinating. And it turns out that all this time, we didn't know because we couldn't hear. But it turns out that non-human life has been communicating all along. And knowing this provides a whole new layer of meaning for passages like Job chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. It says, but ask the animals and they will teach you or the birds in the sky and they will tell you or speak to the earth and it will teach you or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this in his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. And I also really like this one in Psalm 96, let the heavens rejoice Let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them, let all the trees of the forest sing for joy, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. You know, the Bible actually talks about moments um, when God communicates to the creatures as well. The story of Noah and the ark talk about how the animals came to Noah. He didn't have to go and round them all up. How did they know? God told them. And they made themselves to the ark. Also in the story of Jonah and the fish, the Bible verse says that God told and commanded the fish to spit Jonah out onto dry land, and the fish obeyed. And the story that I want to look at today is a story of a donkey. A donkey that... Can speak. Let's go there to Numbers chapter twenty-two, and we're gonna pick up the story. It says, And the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. A little bit of a historical context. So the Israelites were descendants of a man named Abraham and God had promised Abraham that his descendants would become a huge, you know, group of people and that God would, uh, take care of them and bring them back to the land that Abraham, uh, lived in, which is Canaan. And so after years of slavery, God delivers them out of slavery and now they're traveling, here's a little map, from Egypt to Let's see if I can... Can I get the laser? Actually, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. On the map, <laughs> if you if you look at that upper... Um, your left... No, your right uh, corner, it says Moab. So Moab and Midian were close to each other. They were neighbors. And the Moabites and the Midianites... They have heard, look at look at all the places that Israel has been. So by this point, they have heard so many stories of how God has parted the Red Sea, how God has given them victory, how they have water out of, um, you know, the desert, right? And so amazing stories have now come, and they have recently defeated a people group called the Amorites. And so they come to the Moabites and the Midianites, they get together, and they're like, what are we going to do? This people group are just going through and just everything they do is successful. And clearly, they have a supernatural power helping them, right? The things that they've heard, it's impossible for any group of people, let alone a group of people who used to be slaves for 400 years. So it says in Numbers 22 that the, the Moabites come to the Midianites. They're like, let's get together. And Balak, son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor who was at Pethor near the Euphrates River in his native land. So they know we can't conquer them through the normal means of swords and spears. We need supernatural help on our side. So then they decide to go to this man named Balaam. Now this man comes from where Abraham used to live, back in Mesopotamia. And so he has some relationship with the God of heaven. But... Which side is he on? Let's find out more about him. Bala comes to Balaam, and he says in verse 6, Come and put a curse on these people, because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. Okay, so we find out that Balaam has a reputation for being able to have some kind of supernatural power and he's someone that the Moabites trust is going to help them defeat the Israelites. But here we find out some more, verses 7 and 8. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. What is divination? Well, the definition of divination is an attempt to gain insights into a question or a situation that you have by doing a ritual of some kind and then expecting the supernatural signs to then tell you what to do. It's basically fortune telling, right? It's basically fortune telling. Now, God had previously told them, I won't read it all, but God had previously said to the Israelites that he did not want people to practice divination. Why? What's wrong with wanting to know answers, right? Don't you ever want to know? Who should I marry? You know, when, I remember when I was a young girl, I'm like, man, wouldn't it be nice if all of us were born with like a little tag that said who are like life partner was going to be so that you don't have to waste time looking <laughs> and and have heartbreaks trying to figure it out Right. this was me in my 20s wondering that before I met Roy and I in a don't you ever wonder what, what you know as a young person what what kind of career should I choose right what 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 kind of um job should I seek and then you know where should I live there's so many life decisions. And what if you're in a situation where you're faced with two choices? Don't you wish you could just kind of get God's answer straight away? So what's wrong with going to somebody who's going to give us an answer, right? What's wrong with divination? Here's the here's what's wrong with it. There's many things wrong with it. But one of the main things that's wrong with it is that God doesn't want us to just seek him when we want answers. He doesn't want us to use God like an eight ball, you know, to tell us answers to when we have dilemmas. The problem is that we want quick, easy solutions. Meanwhile, that's not what God wants for us. It's not that he wants us to struggle. It's just that he wants us to really genuinely explore the motivations of our hearts. Because a lot of times what we want is not what's good for us. Or what we want, we want straight away, but God wants us to learn to trust, to surrender, to wait. And I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. Right? I want answers now. I want things to happen now. I like being productive. I hate waiting around. I hate that 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 place of in between. Right? Makes me feel really uncomfortable. But if you look at the Bible stories, and you look at especially individuals who God used for his purpose, there was a lot of waiting. A man named Abraham, like I said, he had to wait years, a 100 years, before he had that promised child. God had come to him promising this child back when he was 80. He had to wait 20 years for that child. And not a lot of uh, extra assurances in between. God never said when He would have the baby; He just said, "You will have a baby." Or, or the man Joseph—he was a man who was was sold by his brothers into slavery, and then he, you know, worked his way up, was doing well, and then was thrown into jail, and then he was in jail for like uh, 13 to 15 years, waiting for their deliverance. No prospects of escape or future you you look at the story of daniel who was a a young boy when he was taken captive to babylon and it was years before he was able to 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 understand his purpose in life and so god doesn't you know if yes sure he could tell us yeah do this then that and we could i guess follow that roadmap but would it make us into the people that he wants us to be God is not interested in just taking us places. He's interested in helping us become people who trust him, who wait upon him, who seek him, and who are able to examine our hearts. Balaam was not a man who wanted to surrender. Straight away, when the men came to him, he should have said, uh, it's very clear that God is with the Israelites, so no, I cannot come and curse them. But instead... He says, stay the night. Let me go see what God has to say. Right? And when he speaks to God, God tells him very clearly in verse 12. God said to Balaam, do not go with them. There is no ambiguity about this. God is very clear. Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. End of the story, right? Well, unfortunately, Balaam does go and say, yeah, I, I can't go. But instead of saying, I can't go because it's the wrong thing to do, he says, I can't go because the Lord has refused to let me go with you. You know, when I was growing up and I had a dilemma, I would, for example, let's say there's a, a birthday party on a Friday night. And I would go to my parents and I would say, oh, my friend's having a birthday party on a Friday night, really want to go, what should I do? My parents would never tell me what to do. Instead, they would say, why don't you pray about it? And we'll be praying for you. And you can come and ask us for, you know, any advice and questions, but you need to make that decision on your own. And I hated it when they said that because that meant I would have to make the right decision. (laughs) Because if they just told me what to do, then I can be like, oh, you never let me do it. It's so not fair. You know, I can rebel and, and you know, mutter. Or if they said, uh, yeah, go ahead and go, you know, then I would feel like, oh, okay. But then I'd be, I'd be like, all right. You know, I, and, and um, I, they've never said that. But, like, you know, it just wouldn't sit right. Whereas once they put that burden on me to make the decision for myself, right, and to think and reflect and pray, I knew that it's on me then what I choose. <laughs> the consequences are on me. And notice how Balaam, he wants, he's blaming God. He's like, God is not letting me go. Instead of saying, hey, actually, I've spoken to God and I've realized, yeah, I really shouldn't do this. Instead, he puts the blame back on God and says, nope, God says I cannot go. What happens next is that the officials go back, and the king, Balak, sends more officials. It says in verse 15, more, numerals, n- more numerous and more distinguished than the first. And they come and they say, do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. Do you think Balaam says, no, I cannot. No, he says, stay the night. Stay the night. Let me go see what God has to say. He already knows what God wants him to do. So why does he go back to God? Unfortunately, this is something that we do as well. We go to God. We already know what we want. And we want him to put his stamp of blessing and approval on it. Rather than going to God, willing to surrender what we want in order to listen to what he truly has to say to us. We go to God, not because we want to be molded to his will, but because we're hoping to change God's mind. We're hoping that if we go to him enough, that maybe he will say yes. And if God says yes, then surely everything will work out. But that's not how it works, right? When Balaam goes to God again, it says... Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled a donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Does that bother you? bother me. Why is God angry? God said he can go, right? So why is God angry? That doesn't seem very fair. Remember, we did the whole series on how to interpret the Bible. So one of the tips when you get to a challenging text that's confusing, what do you do? You read other translations. So here's what it says in the New King James Version. It says, And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the man come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. In other words, God says, All right, if the man comes to call upon you in the morning, then go. But just do what I'm telling you, right? Listen carefully to these words. In other words, God is testing uh, Balaam to see, are you really wanting my advice? Do you really want to know? Do you want me to give you a sign? Here's the sign. If the men come to you, then you can go. Well, do the men come? It says, so Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. There's no indication in the passage that the man came, um, went up and, and asked Balaam, so what did God say? Instead, you see a very determined, determined Balaam who gets up, saddles his donkey, and he's ready to go. Because he heard only what he wanted to hear. He heard God say, you can go, not... If, da-da-da-da-da, hear God say you can go rather than uh, don't go. <laughs> but if you are going, then know that you are going with the wrong intentions, right? This isn't God saying, oh, yes, I gave you my blessing, go. And that's why God is upset. Balaam has failed the test, and he is more interested in self-gain, right? The, the capital gain, rather than following what God has asked him to do. How often do we do the same where we go to God and he tells us something, we only half listen, and then we expect God to go with us. Psalm 81, verses 8 to 12, God says, Hear me, my people, and I will warn you if you would only listen to me, Israel. You shall have no foreign God among you. You shall not worship any God other than me. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. You see, God doesn't force us to do anything, right? He's a good parent. And so like my parents, God comes to us and says, I've already told you. I've already told you. I've already revealed to you my will for you. And if you resist... And you're unwilling to obey, well, what can I do? Right? I have to let you follow through with your bad choices. But guess what? Those bad choices do have consequences. When Balaam goes out, it says that the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. And then notice what happens next. Verse 23 When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, right? Judgment. God has given Balaam many, many chances to repent. And there he is for judgment. But the donkey sees the angel and it turned off the road into a field. And Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. The donkey sees what Balaam cannot. That this is not the right path. That the angel of the Lord is there to judge him. And and we've already seen that animals can see and hear what we cannot see and hear. And so while Balaam is so bent on just doing what he wants, right, the donkey can see that this is not, this is not the right path. And Balaam, instead of, instead of recognizing that perhaps this donkey is trying to tell him something, something, he beats the donkey. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, the righteous care for the needs of the animals. Right? The Righteous care about the needs of the animals. And here we can really see Bala- Balaam's heart, that he is not interested in following God. He's not listening to the creature, right? He's not listening to anything and looking at any of the signs except for his own desires. And then God does something that I would never do. Because <laughs> if it were me, I would be like, yep, you've used up all your chances. You're done. But instead, God, who is a lot more merciful than I am, because, by the way, the donkey, the incident with the donkey, Balaam beats him three times. Not once, not twice, but three times Balaam beats the donkey. And then God does something quite incredible that should have stopped Balaam. Um, Sorry, let me go back. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it's said, okay, speaking in human language, what have I done to make you beat me these three times? If ever Balaam needed a sign from God, this is it, right? You would think that at this point, Balaam would say, what? How is my donkey speaking to me? Okay, I better stop. But no, Balaam is so angry that he argues with the donkey. You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, the donkey is very logical, unlike his owner. Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I not been in the habit of doing this to you? Or have I been in the habit of doing this to you? And Balaam has uh, has to admit, no, you've never done this to me. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The donkey sees what Balaam cannot see. And then God opens the donkey's mouth so that the donkey is telling Balaam, right? Telling him, hey, this is not my normal path. There's, there's an angel of the Lord. Like He's trying to tell him something. And Balaam is so deaf to what God is trying to say to him, that he doesn't even hear what the donkey is saying in human language, and so God has to finally open his eyes. And even that is merciful, right? God gives him the ability to see what the donkey can see, which is that the angel is there with the sword, ready for judgment. And the mercy of God gives Balaam another chance. Sadly, Balaam, doesn't learn from these mistakes and these choices. And if you read the rest of the book of Numbers, the story of Balaam does not end well. And ultimately, he does get judged, okay? Because eventually, God's mercy cannot last forever. And in fact, Balaam ends up causing more than 23,000 Israelites to die. And guess what? When, when your choices hurt other people, then God, once again, as the just father, has to bring consequences. If if Joshua hurts Micah, and if I just forgive Joshua, that's not fair for Micah, right? I'm not a good parent if I let one child get away with it, because it hurts my other child. And so judgment, it, it seems contrary to mercy, but judgment is absolutely tied with mercy. God wants to give us mercy as much as possible, but at some point, he has to give justice to the victims, At some point, God has to say, that's enough. That's enough. So what can we learn from the story of Balaam today? There's a few things I want to highlight. The first is that if we want to hear God, we have to be willing to also obey God. Balaam went seeking God's answers, but he wasn't actually willing to obey what God revealed to him. And I think as followers of God, we make this mistake all the time where we ask God to bless us, we seek God's will, but actually we're not really willing to follow through once he reveals that truth to us. And so we have to be willing to obey. The other thing that we need to learn from the story of Balaam is that we need to be in listening. There is Balaam unable to hear a donkey speaking to him, unable to see an angel of the Lord that the donkey can see. Are we listening, or is there too too much noise around us? I shared in the beginning how creatures communicate. Well, sadly, noise pollution is harming the creatures in their ability to communicate. Studies have shown that loud noises can cause stress and fertility problems for birds, fish, and other animals. And that creatures that use sound to find food, attract mates, and avoid predators are finding it very difficult because of all the noise pollution in the world today. In the ocean, oh, sorry. Uh, Can you go to, sorry? Yeah, can you go to the slide that has the ship? so ships and oil drills and sonar and all that it's messing with the navigation um, system of the whales and so more and more whales are getting beached today because of noise pollution because sonar you know because whales communicate through sounds to navigate and you know, migrate together they uh, basically can't hear each other anymore and they can't hear where they need to go and so a lot of whales are are increasingly more beached today as a result of noise pollution and if you think about all the noise pollution that we have in our own lives, right? We're always scrolling through our phones, the amount of noise pollution that comes through all that we're, we're inputting into our brain. Not to mention all the noise pollution of the thoughts and the opinions and the expectations of others and our own distorted thoughts. How much can we really hear God when we have all of that going on? I want to invite you if you are craving something different into an idea that God has instituted from the beginning, which is the idea of the Sabbath. In the beginning, when God created a perfect world, even then, he instituted the seventh day as a Sabbath, and he, and he intended it to be a blessing. God blessed it. Okay? He blessed the whole day, and he set it apart as a day for us to come apart, come away, and unplug some of that noise pollution that can distract us. During the school holidays, you know, we took on the, um, during the weeks the kids were at holiday care because we were working. But on the weekends, you know, we took them ice skating. On the Sunday, we took them to play centers. They had play dates. And there was this one day where, um, you remember, when when we had a guest speaker, we had Sashka come and share her amazing testimony. And um, it was the one Sabbath in a very long time where neither Roy nor I were preaching. And so both of us were super relaxed, and Roy took the boys on a walk. I was on the phone with someone. Roy took the boys on a walk, and they came back, and they were beaming. They were glowing. And they said, Mom, we prayed for you. Roy had led them on a prayer walk, and they had prayed for each other. They prayed for themselves. And when I, you know, after the two weeks ended, last week, before they were about to uh, go back to school, I asked the boys, hey, what was your favorite activity during the school holidays? You know, Was it the ice skating? Was it playing with your friends? Was it, you know, we went to two play centers? And both boys said our favorite thing from our school holidays was the Sabbath morning prayer walk. And I was so surprised, but it made me realize even our kids, our crazy kids who are crawling all over the front, even our kids are craving stillness, time away from all the things that stress them out, right? Because they have stress too. And I want to invite you into the Sabbath gift. James, is there a slide there with the Sabbath? Can you go to that one? Because I don't... um... The Australian Union has put together this website called the Sabbath gift. And it's a challenge. They have videos on there explaining what the Sabbath is about and some ideas on how you can keep it. And they basically say... Uh, p- provide a challenge for you to sign up for 4 weeks of observing the sabbath where you turn off the media right quieten quieten the noise where you stop the consumerism right just soften and quieten the noise where you stop working to so- to quieten the noise and just be able to carve out time and space to one communion with god Two, being community with each other at church. And three, if possible, to spend some time in nature. You don't have to go all the way out to Dandenong's or, you know, the beaches. You can go to the local park even, right? Just There's a beautiful park across the street from here. Just spending just some time in nature, listening to the creatures, listening to what God has to share with us. And, you know, right now our church is in that valley of decision. And at our last business meeting, I know that some of you were really disappointed and frustrated that we didn't make a decision. But I felt and I still feel that it's important for us to pray, to listen to each other, to listen to God, and to really wait upon him to guide us. Trust me, I want to move ahead quickly as well. Trust me, I want decisions made as well. But I really feel convicted that we need to come together. We need to pray together. We need to really seek what God wants for our church and not just what we want or what um, others want. I want to invite you. You know, we've had um, before church service today, we had a time of prayer um, to pray together. We have our Zoom meetings. These prayer times are really important. If you want to know Right? what what the needs of this church are. If you want to know what God is calling us to do, I want to invite you to join us for prayer. And I pray that as we listen to each other and to God, as we come together in prayer and worship, as we experience what it means to really surrender to God, I pray that then we will be able to obey what God reveals to us in our individual lives as well as to us as a corporate body of Christ. I pray that as you enjoy and dis- rediscover the gift of Sabbath, That you will hear God clearly um, and that you experience the joy of following Him. I want to invite the song team back up for closing song. Father God, open our ears. Help us to truly want to listen. Help us to carve out time and space, to give you that undivided attention, to give each other here in our church undivided attention to be able to listen to the creatures that have so much to say. I pray, Lord, that as we experience the joy and the gift of Sabbath today and in the weeks to come, that we will understand just how much you love us and that will fill us up and enable us to love each other and the many people in this world who are hungry and thirsty and craving that peace that only you can provide. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.